Hello once again to all of our wonderful Trino Community Broadcast viewers, and welcome back to another episode of the Trino Community Broadcast, episode 55. My name is Cole Bowden. I'm a developer advocate with Trino. I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Manfred Moser himself. And Manfred, <laughs> you excited for today? Oh, yeah. There's lots of cool stuff happening, and I'm always excited about what's going on in the Trino community. I just pushed, like, the... Two new clients, a client, a data source live on the website and announced that. And how we do in Trina Community Broadcast, how can I not be excited? Yeah, and this is going to be an interesting look at a piece of technology that uses Trino under the hood to create a pretty fantastic product. And we always like elevating people that are able to use Trino in the right ways and make something valuable for their potential customers. So we'll be joined by Pika. Um, but before we get to that, uh, we have to talk about what's been going on in Trino lately, Manfred. Yeah, it's been a while. Well, not that long, actually. Like, Trino Community Broadcast is rolling pretty regularly now, but there were two releases, right? Yeah, so in 4.37, it was more of a bug-fixy release than a show-stopping feature-adding release. Um, but there's support for configuring compression codecs, uh, support for character values in a couple different functions, and then several performance improvements. Uh, if you're lacking table statistics, Delta Lit goes faster. Uh, and if you're filtering on row columns and iceberg, that'll go faster too. So not the show-stoppingest release of all time, but 438 gave us that and more, Manfred. Yeah, I love how the open policy agent work came together. Uh, we'll dive into that more. But we also got out the column drop, not null kind of stuff in iceberg and Postgres. Uh, more work on the Delta Lake hyphen iceberg connector this time around page size configuration. The reduce aggregate or reduce ag function, <laughs> which is, sounds a bit like reduce egg function. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could do that, like if you're cooking an egg and getting rid of all the water, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that got some more type support because people try to end up using it with characters and not bar chars and stuff like that. So it's really good to sometimes get these little changes from contributors in that they run into a problem, scratch their own itch, fix it. And like sometimes that's a small PR. And this this one came in from one user that did like three of those kind of things. So it's really awesome. It wasn't the and technical then, term. Is it supports slices now is is the, underneath the, the Trino code covers, but slice is not a user-facing concept. So we couldn't use that to describe it, I think is what's yeah. going on there. Sometimes these internal terms don't really mean much unless you're like very deep and down to any technical. I, I really think that we should start putting the onus on everyone to learn what every single internal term means. Just it's a slice. You can figure it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, uh, maybe in one of the next episodes we'll end up talking about splits, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's one last bullet point, Manfred. It's the Trino Gateway version five. Yeah, through the gateway, and then we now have every two weeks we have developer meetings. We cut version five with some OAuth and other fixes. And since then, we had tons and tons of further improvements um, coming in, including with version six that's coming this week or next, probably. We're going to have a default Docker container that we're shipping and like much improved like artifact size and all sorts of stuff. So lots of stuff going on in the project and also very lively in terms of the ideas coming from the from the developers that are uh, collaborating, new features that they want to add. So it's really exciting. Yeah, well, in any case, that's it because it's only been two releases, which gives us a chance to introduce our guests, Mustafa and Ali from Pika, who I'm going to get onto the stage right now. <laughs> Hello, you two. Welcome to the Trino Community Broadcast. How are you two doing? Thanks, you. Thanks for having us. We are very well. 
And uh, if you saw, we had the concept of the episode today was Pika. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. But before we start talking about Pika, how about you both tell us a little bit about yourselves? How do you end up at Pika? What are you trying to accomplish? Yeah, thank you. So actually, Pika didn't start it, uh, as a data product. It started as a no-code project. Uh, but eventually, we realized that data integration is very crucial uh, for our users and customers. So we were just looking how to make it so easy for everyone. So instead of building a data warehouse, ETL pipelines, and other things, we just want to make it very simple and convenient. So that's why we brought Trino into our product and just unified our product with Trino. So yeah, that's how we ended up building Pika. It's a data product. And did you started Pika, Mustafa? Or like how long has Pika been around? Yeah, it's two, two and a half year. Yeah, we I, I am the founder and the CEO of Pika. <laughs> Excellent. What about you, Ali? I'm a very, very long friend of Mustafa, about 2000s uh, in a uh, big firm in Turkey. Uh, I worked there about 25 years when I look back. Oh, how much time passed, but I don't remember at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, how it goes when you deep in the code, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, after some time, uh, I just want to change things. I mean, 25 years is very long time. and uh, That's how I, old I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, oh, Cole was already calling that back then as you, well. <laughs> you look younger. <laughs> uh, I contact with Mustafa at uh, sporadic times, and uh, he thought about the project, and I jumped in. That's exciting, cool. <laughs> because uh, uh, what he said was uh, very exciting after those years in, in that firm. I don't want... Uh, I, I did want to change something so that we can make uh, things for everyone. Because in that uh, firm, uh, we were very limited by the customers. But uh, now the project uh, Pika has serving all the globe, I believe. Cool. So it is very, it, it was very exciting at that time, and it is now. Uh, uh, two year past, I don't remember. <laughs> uh, like two weeks or so. So, so did you both know Trino already when you started Pico from past usage, or how did you find out about Trino? No, we didn't know Trino. So, yeah, we we actually knew about the bit Presto, but we we weren't yeah, weren't using it very uh, commonly. But we were just looking for a solution how to make this data integration much easier and convenient. So without building those ETL pipelines. So yeah, we we eventually ended up to you know. So it didn't take us too much time to discover it. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> well, we like that when people find out about Trino and like using it and start using it. So maybe tell us more about Pika, what it's doing, or like uh, give us a bit of an overview. Yeah, so we actually position Pika as a zero ETL uh, data platform. Uh, Could we use your slides, maybe? Oh. <laughs> Man Manfred with the, the very subtle cue there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so 
actually yeah, we position Pika as a zero ETR data platform. So where you connect all your data sources, which is SaaS tools and databases and also APIs. And so when you can just start querying everything uh, immediately as a single data source. Yeah, this is not very <laughs> exciting thing for the Tinder community, but for our users, it is very, uh, very exciting. So they just think that it is too good to be true. <laughs> Well, it's yeah, also I mean, exciting it's, for the Twitter community, I think. <laughs> it's, it's fun reading the uh, definition of Pika on the website because I remember reading it. I'm, I'm quoting it a little bit here, but it, it's you have it as it merges disparate data sources into a single data layer, letting you join and blend them, query them using SQL or natural language, and expose your data, which is, I remember reading that and being like, huh, that sounds a lot like what Trino does. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, all oh, right, that's because it is because it's running Trino. I understand now, but... Uh, so there's a, yeah. there's a slightly more detailed definition for those who would want one. So we, yeah, we have a very uh, broad user base. Uh, so, and but most of them are some companies. And so this is the most uh, wanted report they want to gather. So country-based MRR. And this is, uh, this is very interesting that so many companies cannot get that report. But in, yeah, Pika, you just integrate HubSpot, Stripe, and make a query and you get it uh, almost immediately. Um, so you know this uh, architecture diagram, so it's a very common data stack. And so um, many companies have it and it's also called the modern data stack, although it is 30 years old. change <laughs> 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 The more they stay the same, right? Yeah. So. Some things are on the cloud now, so that's the only difference, but everything is 30 years old. Uh, so so we, but it's very, very expensive to build for smaller companies. And even the bigger companies don't have a very good structure and architecture uh, for that. And so these actually uh, times and resources are very conservative, by the way. <laughs> So you need actually very big data teams to build this kind of uh, data stack. So yeah, we don't actually replace all those uh, things, but in Pika actually you, you, do, you don't need all of the tools to start actually uh, getting your data, querying your data. So in Pika, you can start immediately accessing your data. So yeah, so we are using the virtualization that Bruno provides us. So we have the SaaS connectors uh, built in our uh, in Pika. So we just add everything. And we also add another layer, a virtual data catalog. Uh, so that's how we map some caches from virtual data catalog. So the twin always see them as a single uh, query, single source. Uh, so you don't need to change your queries and other things. And on top of it, we, we have Flow Engine that you can just use APIs and reverse ETL type of use cases and also visualization layer as well. So, but maybe this architectural diagram makes more sense for the Trino community, technical community. So here the Trino is yeah, at the heart of uh, uh, Pika. And so the blue ones are the components uh, we develop. And so we, we are using and Kafka and Debezium for other approaches. Um, so in Pika, it's a very 
um, scalable architecture. So even, for example, you can just push your stream data through APIs. We also uh, extract information from databases using the best human, convert them to CDC, and also land it on Iceberg uh, through these uh, pipelines. And also we try to make it much easier, for example, all type of authentications for our users. So we have auto handlers uh, for connectors, which is also handled by the uh, Flow engine. And since we are serving many clients and just mapping those Kafka uh, quiz is not very easy. So that's why we implemented the dispatcher here, dispatcher layer over here. So, which is also scalable and works with the Kafka as well. And we handle most of the token-based authentication and API mapping and also uh, multi-tenancy and other things on API gateway. So we can, do we get any questions during the- Yeah, part? do you want to go back to the slides, the one like the one before, where, where Pika is everywhere, like one for earlier? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so in this slide, it, like if you compare to the one before, basically, you on the left you still see all the databases and object stores. So your customers or users have, like as you can see here, Stripe and whatever, mm -hmm. also conventional databases as data sources, and you also have event sources, and then they have to put together infrastructure, uh, and you are replacing here the whole ETL ELT kind of loading of the data with Picker. That part is mostly done by, by Kafka then, I guess, and connectors and catalogs. Yes. Right? Yeah, Kafka, connectors, Trino, and also uh, if you want to cache it, also Iceberg as well. Okay, so you're running Iceberg within the Pico platform. What, yeah. made you what made you choose Iceberg as a intermediate storage or whatever? So we realized that it is very robust with Trino. So it's fully implemented and it works really well. So there are some tricks for Iceberg to use it. So sometimes the metadata gets very big if you just make very frequent inserts and other things. So that's why we just implemented a window-based bulk insert using Kafka and our internal flow engine. Uh, so Kafka inserts directly into Iceberg then and then Trino just reads? Uh, actually, we just land first Kafka, so we buffer a bit, then we just insert in an, another uh, database. Then from that database, we are using Trino to merge into notation to make bulk inserts to Trino. Then we compact the iceberg uh, tables and other things. But most of the configurations comes from connectors. So we just define all every partitions and other configuration optimizations using in our connector in our metadata. So if you want to just land Stripe uh, into Iceberg, you don't configure anything. Everything is uh, configured, partitioned, and optimized uh, to query very fast from Iceberg. Cool. So Ali, what, what are you working on in this whole complex stack? Seems like there's a lot, lot, lot of things to do for a software engineer in all sorts of different parts. So yeah. where, where, where do you get your fingers in? Uh, in fact, uh, before Trino was formed in the uh, Pika, uh, I worked first started with dispatcher. They said that uh, we need some, we have some data and please 
distributed to clients and UI UX REST clients in data. Uh, after that, uh, dispatcher, uh, we looked at, Mustafa uh, said that uh, we need a data problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, after that, uh, we discovered Tirnot together and uh, we uh, bought your uh, uh, Tirnot book from O'Reilly, I believe. And <laughs> I just <laughs> hope it uh, helped. Version one. I know there is version two now. Uh, and whenever uh, we just looked at through the pages and hmm, it solves our many problems, but uh, it is not easy to use. I mean, Tirno is for very advanced developers and technicians, etc. Uh, our platform was very uh, low code or no code platform at that time. Uh, we thought uh, everybody was saying to us, uh, I, I believe Mustafa can give much more details about this. We need Airtable, we need Stripe, we need HubSpot, we need that, we need this. <laughs> we need everything. Everybody needs everything. So uh, we start with some data solution. We uh, saw the Trino and we saw uh, that it's open source. You can add connectors uh, because there's a robust engine. It takes from data from connectors in some formats and it executes your query. So we thought that we can extend this. I mean, uh, we do have some uh, property connectors. Uh, uh, we just connect to Stripe, HubSpot, etc. Airtable, uh, our uh, uh, clients, uh, customers are using them. Uh, so uh, without some very robust interface definition, this wouldn't work at all. Uh, your uh, interface, uh, etc., a bit, uh, I believe, not easy to code because there are so many abstractions at uh, every <laughs> level. Uh, I mean, slice uh, from the beginning. Your byte array, in fact, uh, <laughs> memory byte array, but uh, those uh, kind of things uh, should be serialized in memory, etc., etc. Uh, we we do uh, copy some of your functions into our uh, connectors and it's some things. And uh, after that, uh, our customers said that oh, REST APIs are uh, very slow. How should we take uh, that kind of report? Uh, for example, uh, in Stripe, a hundred lines of row. Uh, about uh, getting from REST service is about one minute or so. I, I may be wrong, but uh, it is very slow, okay? Uh, so we did uh, develop an iceberg solution, and uh, I believe there is a customer uh, which took about two or three weeks of querying Stripe down to one minute with iceberg uh, cache solution. Uh, they did some... Uh, last year's uh, some financial numbers i don't remember the query it was about maybe yeah. 100 or 200 of <laughs> query it it worked in a uh, five or ten seconds i uh, so uh, everything came uh, evolutionary what what customer needs what is the solution what the customer needs so we have to do that we have to. so uh, i believe i uh, 
every line of code in that uh, presentation. <laughs> <laughs> because we are a tiny company, uh, when someone took the problem, it just solves and moves on to the next problem. <laughs> so question is, how many connectors have you all built that are not in default open source Trino? Uh, okay. Mm. So on our side, so yeah, we built more than 300, but yeah, most of them are generated from OpenOP YAML. So when not all of them are tested, uh, but most of are SaaS connectors. So we have a connector generator. So when you just open, give the open API specification, it generates a Trino connector uh, for us. So we how we generated all of them, but actually make those connectors working requires another time. So how to cache it, so how to optimize it, how to push down uh, the parameters uh, to the API. So it's another job. So we, we first generate the uh, connectors, then we handcraft those connectors to better used uh, by our customers. And which one of those do you think was the hardest to handcraft? Like where were the most technical snags or difficulties? Just, you know, a warning sign to everyone else, like don't try making this connector. <laughs> yeah, Stripe, I think Stripe is, uh, was very uh, challenging because their fields are not allowing us to just get incremental data very easily. So for example, they sometimes update records and they don't update the last update field uh, for that. So they have another CDC type of um, API. So it is not just easy to just connect their uh, data retrieval API. So you also need to subscribe to their CDC type of API as well. And then you need to merge uh, everything into it. And also it's APIs are slow, so you need to make those if you want to cache it on iceberg you need to make some parallel uh, um, connections so which allow 10, uh, 10 parallel connections to their api so you also need to optimize to get it and let there are lots of transactions so some companies lots of revenue which is nice for them so <laughs> so, so, so just a recapping i think it was a bit fast for, for maybe not everyone understood what's going on but i think let me try. So a lot of the systems you connect to basically expose some sort of REST API or API, like mm -hmm. or something. And then they also expose a specification using the open API standard. Is that correct? Yeah, some of them have. So they also yeah provide an open API specification. So it's easier. Sometimes they open a Postman project. So we can use both of them. Uh, yeah, sometimes they don't. They just have a the web page documentation, and yeah, we try to <laughs> try. And to then make... you use that information that basically defines sort of the schema of that fixed data source to mm -hmm. generate a connector. Uh, but you're not using like there's an existing open API connector that Jan wrote, but you're not using that. You're using something else that generates actual Java code and then you modify it more manually. Is that what you're doing? Yeah, actually, no, we don't generate the whole Java code. So we also have a generic uh, Java co connector 
for that, but we usually generate a metadata for okay. uh, on connector. So yeah, so the, the open API connector that uh, you have, yeah, is not just enough for us because we also have iceberg cache options for almost any, any connector. So we need to also configure those kind of things, how to make incremental updates and other things on our side. That's, that's uh, fascinating. Very cool. Iceberg uh, doesn't have all the SQL types. We have to do some uh, internal uh, column mappings. Uh, uh, for example, JSON is not supported, I believe. Just an example, top of mm -hmm. my head. So we do some uh, varchar to JSON and back to JSON to varchar conversions. Uh, but we also have uh, especially I don't like uh, time and date functions everywhere because everybody is using everything in time and date. <laughs> uh, even the countries, month and dates are switched. Uh, so uh, SQL is robust. Uh, it's a mathematical relational model, but uh, the data is not perfect. Uh, so you have to do some internal, uh, how can I say, just little uh, tricks so that uh, it, every data source should be using, uh, must use the same language and it's SQL in this case. But the, sometimes they give us Unix time uh, with some offset, sometimes no offset. There is no documentation. You just take the data, hmm, it must be like that. So you just try and mm -hmm. so that. Uh, Open API doesn't have those specifications, so you have to, uh, do very little needed things. <laughs> I think every single software engineer who's ever worked with like timestamps, times, and dates is relating yeah. right now. <laughs> I know I've personally like broken a website to have everything say January 1st, 1970, because I was dividing by like a thousand or something. So, you know, I was trying to do milliseconds to seconds and it's, it's too easy to just see a Unix timestamp and, and go where you don't want to go. So, yeah the ever-present getting times accurate challenges ever-present <laughs> once more well that all sounds extremely powerful and interesting you're also running on kubernetes do you maybe want to give us a glimpse at pika is that possible yeah sure so so let's actually you everybody can try pika online so we you can just go to our website pika.com you can just go to try for free and we only request email address, no credit card, no commitment. <laughs> uh, you can just uh, log in. So I will just go with my Google login uh, with that. So when you just enter Pika, so you will see the project. This is something we also put on top of Torino. Uh, so we, we are actually putting a multi-tenancy on single cluster. And also we are putting another virtual data catalog structure. So you can create projects and in each project you can have different data sources. So which is nice if you have, for example, different departments uh, in the company marketing finance. And if you want to give them different data sets, you can create different projects uh, and you can share the projects uh, with them. We can also so we have the sharing options as well in the system. So let's create a uh, new project uh, for you. And so, so you, say, you were saying before a single cluster. So this runs 
for you and like if I get an account, I'm running on the same cluster? Yeah, we, we share the compete part. Uh, we separate the data, but we share the compete engine uh, for the people. So that we must be pretty sizable then. <laughs> yeah, the, other than other than it, it was not possible to just serve Trino as a SaaS platform for many users uh, with this pricing model. <laughs> uh, so it's very uh, it's it's easier for everyone to just use all features of uh, Trino. So here. Actually, when you add up, so you start with the data. So you can just click here or from here. You can just, uh, we have built-in connectors. So the existing Trina connectors are already here. Uh, but we also make most of them the authentication layers, so such as the EAM, open authentication. You can just do those kind of things here uh, easily, uh, like this one. And, or you can also, uh, have the NoSQL type of uh, things. But other than Trino, we just uh, map them as a SQL tables. So we don't just allow you to carry their um, native language for Elasticsearch or MongoDB. You just see everything as in uh, SQL format. And um, yeah, also we have lots of SaaS uh, connectors as well here. And you can also create your own data like this time relation table and in BI table, you can create iceberg tables in no code format. This is good if you want to uh, land your streaming data. And we also have a generic REST API connector. So let's add some sample data and see how it will look like when you are adding data uh, into Pika. So as you can see, every data source uh, you add as seem like a catalog over here. So which is very, uh, similar for you. So the catalog schema and the table structure is already also here. And so this is real-time data, so I don't have any caching options. But with if I want to get this data to be cached, not to be used on the API every time, so I can just set up a cache by clicking the tree dot. And I can also make it then auto-updated with a, a schedule. So if I click it, so it just starts pulling data for me and lands it on the iceberg immediately. And so any uh, query that accesses that data then automatically knows, oops, there's a cache, so I'm gonna use the cache data versus the... Yeah, exactly. Now it's cached and it's now you, you see the data faster <laughs> and query very faster. So, but I don't need to change any query. So since, for example, I have a query over here uh, I don't need to, for example, change this query. So when I cache it, so are this virtual data catalog structures and now maps those uh, tables to iceberg. Uh, so, and so for example, let's run this one. So it just brings data both from HubSpot and Stripe. So as you can see, it's six or seven seconds. There's not very much data, by the way, in this uh, tables. But if I cache it, uh, like this one. So does that also then mean, like, I, I don't know how this works with the different SaaS products, to be honest. But I guess some of them, like, charge per API hit or whatever. Does that then also mean that by you caching, you basically hit that API less? So that kind of, like, 
pseudo safety money potentially. Yeah, we are creating a workaround for API limits here. Yeah, so you you Absolutely. cannot consume all the data from APIs because um, it goes so many paginations. So you can get some queries if you just use filters in the where statement, then it push down those things and you can just get it faster. But if you want to, for example, get a revenue report, which requires you to traverse all the data through in API, which requires lots of lots of paginations and it's not very easy, but when you cache it, so yeah, you get the, you get running those queries much, much faster. And also you can get all the uh, aggregate operations here. Uh, so yeah, you see that's a one second query now. And yeah, here as well. So here you can just create your queries. So we have fully supported uh, uh, autocomplete uh, engine uh, here. You can also use your queries as any data tables as well, <laughs> which is also something we added. So you can create your own data models, which is like- so that's kind of like a view essentially, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and you can also see over from here, your all uh, data sources here as well. So we have embedded AI. So you can also use AI uh, from here and chat. You can uh, try to query uh, yeah, so let's start a new one. Uh, so what do you write in there? Give me the... Yeah, like this one, you can just uh, run, generate your queries over here as well. So this is... Uh, you can add those kind of things and let's add a new one. For example, how it is easy to add. Uh... So that, what are you connecting that to a Google spreadsheet? Yeah, that's, yeah, also Google spreadsheets. And I think I am only sharing the Chrome window. So you haven't seen the open authentication window. So it just sends me to Google login and yeah, so it's immediately available over here. So you can also add Google Sheet uh, as well. Uh, so for the people that, that love working in their spreadsheets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it is nice. Yeah, over here, you can also access your sheets uh, from Google Sheet and also Airtable, uh, those kind of tools as well. So we also have NoSQL, but we, as I said, we just uh, use their SQL type of uh, things and you can just query them like this one. Um, yeah, so this is the data hub part of Pika. And, but you can also expose this data using flow, flows as API. So you can also generate your, if you want to share your data, uh, you can create endpoints. Also, you can create schedule flows. You can also create pipelines and other things. Uh, 
uh, like this one, for example, let's uh, export something. <laughs> uh, so that's a REST end API that's like becomes available on your server for whatever to access then outside. Yeah, exactly. So it just creates a webhook trigger for me and creates a, so I just, all I need to, for example, access get all records. And here I can just choose any data that I have. It, it can also be a query that I generated. So for example, let's use Mongo Postgre type of thing. I can also filter those things according to service parameters that I can take from uh, webhook. And yeah, let's give it some name to this output and let's put that output inside the response. Yeah, I activated, I have the URL over here. I copy and I just paste it. So it runs the query and it just uh, returns the result uh, as an API. So I can create those kind of APIs uh, from here and I can build my API layer, layer over here. So, and I can also do the opposite of it. I can just do the, for example, an ingestion endpoint uh, for maybe something you have, you can have. And here I can just use this time at a record. If it is then, then I can choose. Okay. Yeah, be a table from here, something like that. And I just make the mapping. So it automatically, for example, creates a Kafka buffer uh, for that. So you can ingest your data uh, to Pika as well. So yeah, this is very easy to, expose and import data and also create your API layers and share your data uh, in the system. And yeah, you maybe you have recognized there is a Debezium in the architecture. You can also create one-click cache for Postgres, Mongo using Debezium and with CDC, you can have cache on Iceberg immediately. Crazy. So that, that, that that's like... There's like a lot of different use cases, so many data sources that I can't even, like like you were saying 300 or something, that's crazy. So so what are some of the like common usage patterns you see in your customers? Like, do they all use, I don't know, like you mentioned Stripe, like is there a lot of Stripe usage and then mapping it up with customer data in HubSpot or whatever, or like, or is it like very, very, like how, how, how are people using Pika? Yeah, honestly, well, there are so many use cases that I see that I'm not sure which ones actually are used. So you might be able to tell yeah. me better what's actually going on. Yeah, it's a full data stack for a, a medium-sized company. So, and we have also the visualization uh, layer, so they can also build their uh, pie charts and other things over here. And um, because since we had the data you can directly connect your data from here and build your internal tools. And with one, with one click, you can share the links uh, with your uh, colleagues and other things, uh, have your dashboard yeah, with the link. So, so they use it. People usually use Pika as their first data stack. Uh, so it's very easy for them to build something without any data engineers and other stuff. And also, share data uh, with other applications 
and also and the initial use cases are mostly product analytics and also revenue reports uh, for people and sometimes they want to join data with their internal database and other things and now we are having uh, as native segment integ integration so you will have all segment events over here so which will be make it much easier for everyone to see their customer 360 uh, five uh, 360 sorry uh, we will <laughs> uh their uh, data uh so and yeah and also there's some interest about creating iceberg table and mounting those tables to their data warehouse <laughs> so it's so it's coming a little bit also and and all of this is running on kubernetes in the cloud you're saying right yes everything is on kubernetes so it just scales up and down automatically and so we don't scale Trino workers very frequently, uh, but other than everything else is very uh, scale up and down automatically. Yeah. One thing they also mentioned when we when we were preparing to the talk, and that would be super interesting to talk more about is um, obviously like your cluster runs all the time, you're saying, and you're scaling it a little bit, but basically it runs all the time. And um, just recently, we talked about this in a prior Trino community broadcast episode, the feature for dynamic catalogs was added, which basically you must be using, right? Like you must, yes. like whenever you create a new data source, it becomes available. You must be using that. So how is that going? Yeah, it's it's a lifesaver for us. So other than we couldn't just <laughs> do it, so so and then we add the data sources, it wouldn't be possible to just uh, make it this user experience. So yeah. It, so we were actually trying to make some patches to work it. Then it came and we were so happy about it. And we immediately switched to <laughs> that great catalog in drop catalog uh, feature. So there are some bugs in drop catalog feature. So we we handle it on our side by some workarounds. So for example, you cannot uh, use the same name when you drop your catalog. You need to restart your Trino cluster to use the same catalog name. Yeah, but we have a workaround for that on our side. Uh, so we handle it, but yeah, it is it will be possible to create this experience without that feature. Have you reported that bug to Trino? You are right. I was... <laughs> it's an issue. It's experimental. Yeah. It's, I've been I asking think... for feedback on the feature. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, think... <laughs> I, I wrote it on the Slack channel. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I think we should just create them. Yeah, we just thought that it is already no <laughs> issue. Yeah any, yeah, any kind of like practical experience and problems you have, obviously, are always welcome to like report a bug and find out about because ultimately um, that's how the project gets better. Like the typical usage here, like create catalog and drop catalog works, but it's not something we thought of that you have the multi-tenant system, right? So that's why you're saying you have to actually create it with a shim and a different name because, well, what if two customers want to use the same catalog name? Well, that doesn't work at Trino, right? So so you have this workaround, but that's the kind of stuff that is super useful to know. And obviously, we're also hoping to get uh, Alta catalog implemented at some stage, but you're, so you're just dropping it. Like when you need to change a catalog, you're literally just dropping it and creating a new one with an intermediary name or something? Yes, yes. We always use unique names. 
for catalogs on our side because we we have another layer that just creates a data catalog for our customers. So so there are many customers using HubSpot as a catalog name. So. <laughs> so how, how are you doing that? Is that like just depending like a shim of the customer name or is it like some hashing algorithm? Like what literally is going on there? We are, we are using uh, just the uh, UUID with some uh, internal uh, timestamps or something just to uh, uh, order by some values. Uh, you just saw HubSpot uh, on the screen, but in, I believe, uh, background, it is something like uh, cat underscore some number underscore some number. So when we take the input from UI, we uh, know which uh, user and uh, project ID is being used. So we look at uh, those catalogs and uh, change uh, parse the SQL queries and change those catalog names to real internal catalog names uh, and execute the query and uh, present the result to the uh, whatever user is using. Uh, rest so we, or... Yeah, so, so you're dynamically rewriting the queries then and yeah, like that also I believe, triggered me. Uh, I believe Tirno has uh, in the engine using those kind of uh, tricks. Uh, for example, you have table redirections, etc. Uh, in the code. Uh, we are doing uh, nearly the same concept, but uh, I looked at your code. Uh, it is very established. Uh, our site is uh, doing uh, a little tricks because uh, Tino is already doing something. It's the classic. It was at one point Trino was, was immature and new and followed the move fast and break things motto when it was being made at Facebook. Mm -hmm. We're all there, and then you mature over time. But that's really interesting to hear. It's instead of table redirects, catalog redirects. Done in yeah, we, we are the, doing catalog way. redirects. Yeah, you are doing uh, table redirects. We are doing catalog redirects. Yeah, <laughs> because like uh, uh, software engineering is always putting some layer onto another thing just to <laughs> just to clean <laughs> some background <laughs> off the table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're you're gluing things together as as effectively and quickly as you can, right? That's that's a lot of what it is. So that made me think of another question, and that is, so when when your customer, like you, you were showing us Mustafa going through the UI and writing all these SQL queries and like making dashboards, where do you store that information? Like Trino doesn't have storage. Um, you have iceberg yeah. for the caching, but like, where do you store that kind of information for your customers uh, and whatever? Like, yeah, we have. The so yeah, you can go. We have an internal DB over here. Okay. Uh, so it's Postgres. So we use Postgres to actually you to store our user information and other type of informations. Okay. Now I, I thought of another question. <laughs> so I, I saw Iceberg there and Minio. What are you using as the metadata catalog for Iceberg? Uh, high Meta Store. Okay, so you're running a separate Hive Meta store. Yes, that must be a big one. <laughs> uh, I believe in the test side, uh, we do have more than ten thousand catalogs. 
I know that not all of them are running at uh, all time, but uh, we do have that kind of uh, number. Uh, I don't uh, look at the product side because uh, I'm always afraid that uh, something will broke. <laughs> yeah, production data. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know the number. I, I, I uh, except uh, very very necessary. I uh, do not look at those parts because uh, you, <laughs> if I do something, I am uh, something. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I'm just afraid of those things, but I do know that we have over 10,000 catalogs in Trino cluster. Uh, since it is test, not all uh, catalogs uh, being used at all times, but we have that kind of number. And so can, uh, maybe a difficult question, maybe not. Um, how much thought and time and effort has gone into making sure one customer doesn't query another customer's catalog either by accident or like on purpose, like what's the, what's the security angle there to make sure that this doesn't happen? Yeah. Every customer's catalog is just goes out through our data handler. And so, and it's already just, uh, stored in their token. So it just starts from here and just, it's goes all over to here. And it's, uh, the tenant ID is already stored in the token and we just, uh nothing is going to you know directly so everything is going over here uh, and so if you even know the catalog's unique id or secret <laughs> uh, names it doesn't work so we always just map it and we just if if there's something not in their uh, virtual data catalog it just gives an immediate error uh, to the user yeah, I guess that makes sense. That's also why it's important to basically have your own UI for all these things, because a standard Trino AI would just go, oh, look at that. There's a 10,000 catalog. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we have a separate GDBC driver uh, for Pika. So actually, it goes through the API gateway. Even if you can use your Trino uh, GDBC driver, uh, it, it will, you can still not query that part as well. Because your credentials lock yeah. down, basically. Okay. Yes. Very cool. Uh, of course, customers should handle the keys safe. Uh, <laughs> it is like uh, uh, yeah. losing your home key. And yeah. Yeah. We assume, we assume they preserve their token <laughs> safely. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> That's right. cool. Huh? Thank you both very much for the talk, the information, the walkthrough, the overview. That was uh, really insightful. It's a super interesting tool to get Trino into the hands of even less technical users in a way that adds a lot of value to the project, which I think is pretty exciting for the community, you know, and it's one of those things where I think Peak is a great place to get started. And if somewhere down the line, your company grows to 5,000 people and you can hire some data engineers, you can bail out to Trino if you need to, or, you know, you're just making so much money. Like, who cares? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, we also want to contribute more. Yeah, since Ali mentioned we are a tiny company, but, yeah, since if we are getting bigger and bigger, so we also want to contribute. And we also want to make a community edition of Pika and open source to UI. So it will be interesting for everyone. Uh, so it's it will democratize the usage of uh, Trino to more people and open a, a new user base. 
yeah, for community. <laughs> that sounds really awesome. I imagine it is not close to happening right now, but we'll, <laughs> we'll be in the works. Maybe there's another community broadcast episode sometime down the line when that finally happens. Uh, yeah, I imagine that's a complicated stack to run on your own. Yeah, but we have we have a hand chart, so you can just portably deploy all the stack into any Kubernetes cluster. So GCP, AWS, Azure, uh, and also Rancher, OpenShift. You can deploy it with only hand charts. <laughs> wow. You definitely well, need the engineers then. <laughs> <laughs> In any case, if you were watching this episode and you want to learn more about Pika, check out pika.com. That's their website. Uh, it's pretty easy to find. And uh, Ali and Mustafa, thank you very much for being on the episode. Yeah, thanks. Thanks also for creating this opportunity to show Pika. <laughs> All right, Always. we're gonna sign them off, but we've got a little more to talk about, Manfred. Really? What are we talking about, Cole? I'm What's gonna happening? click the button that tells you what we're about to talk about. Yes, we got the screen no. back up, Manfred. This is this is some exciting business going on in Trino. Yeah, this has been coming a long time. Like, what was it? Trino Summit 2022? Trino when? Summit 2022, that's correct. Yeah, so back then, um, Hope and Bainan from Alaxio talked about their caching, and Trino didn't have a useful object storage caching in it. Well, we have the Rubik's one. Yeah. That's sad and full of security issues and not maintained and stuff like that. And Alaxio had a proof of concept kind of implementation that adds this support for object storage caching. So basically the files that connect this like iceberg, um, Delta Lake, Hoodie and Hive would download to run their queries, cache them on the Trino workers. Um, Alexio had this like proof of concept PR and talked about this. And thanks to the heavy work from people at Dune and other places, we just merged the support for Delta Lake of this in Trino, which is really awesome. Um, it's going to come in the next release, 439. Currently, we have Delta Lake support in and merged from Dune. People from Apple are working on Iceberg and Hive support. People from OneHouse are working on Hoodie support and I'm pulling together the documentation and Starburst is helping get everything reviewed and everything orchestrated. And hopefully in the next couple of releases, we can kill off Rubik's and uh, have all this caching in place. So it's be pretty interesting, good collaboration led by Starburst. So that's really cool. Yeah, I wanted to pull up. So this is, this is where you can track the work being done. We're uh, in a flurry of activity trying to get everything robustly filled in for the next Trina release. But uh may take until 440 for everything to be included. So keep an eye on the release notes for 439 and 440. We'll be talking about this again once the next Trina Community Broadcast goes live and these releases have been cut. So you'll hear more about it from us soon enough. But we're excited about it. Caching is a big deal. It can lead to small, moderate, or huge performance gains depending on just how effectively you are able to leverage the caching. If your query is the perfect size, I think you can expect it to go several times faster. Um, if your query is huge, you know, maybe a little bit faster, but either way, it's a, it's a big improvement and it should make Trino really 
we we marketed as ludicrously fast, and this will help continue that trend of being ludicrously fast. So yeah, there's lots going on for the ludicrous fastness. <laughs> yeah, it's, everything is making it faster all of the time. Like we don't even need to talk about the other stuff we're working on right now. Uh, yeah. So uh, also, what's coming up as well uh, in future episodes, we're gonna have Vast as uh, our next guest, uh, talking about their database and system and integration between them. And then I'm gonna have David and Matt Stevenson join us, and we'll show uh, Open Telemetry integration. It's been super interesting to see how Open Telemetry has been in Trino for quite a while, but we'll see how it's used in production to troubleshoot big clusters. Um, Pika could use their Starburst uses it on Starburst Galaxy, and obviously. I, you can also play around and look at the traces and spans on your local deployment. We got that going, so it should be super interesting. So Tina Community co Broadcast is rolling along with more interesting episodes. And we'll probably also be announcing some other events in the future, right? Yeah, a, a little rabbit told me that Trino Fest may be getting announced soon. Can't share details yet, but it's on the way. Yeah, in any case, I think that's it from us, Manfred. It's yeah, been a thank pleasure you again. as always. And uh, we'll see all of you next time. Music for the show is from the Mega Man 6 gameplay album by Shishtaf Swabikowski. Don't forget to give us a star on the Trino repository at github.com forward slash TrinoDB forward slash Trino. And for more information on future shows and to find show notes, check out trino.io forward slash broadcast.